Welcome to Thrivers, nonprofit leadership for the next normal. I am your host, Tucker Wanamaker, the CEO of Thrive Impact, and our mission is to solve nonprofit leader burnout. Burnout is the enemy of creating positive change, and we want to connect you with impactful, mission-driven leaders and ideas so that you can learn to thrive in today's nonprofit landscape. I am joined, as usual, by my delightful co-host, Sarah Fanslau, our Chief of Impact at Thrive Impact. Sarah, hello. Good to see you this morning. Hey, Tucker. Great to be here. And, uh, you know, this uh, series is one that we've been uh, going through around capacity building 2.0 and what is really the next normal of capacity building. It's been a great journey that we've been doing with the Pikes Peak Community Foundation, their Resiliency Through Innovation Fund, uh, Mm -hmm. and and our program, our Thrivers Collaborative Learning Community and Leadership Development Program. Um, I'm really excited about this particular episode. But Sarah, curious, any reflections so far that you've had about this series uh, that we've had before we hop on in and invite and, and introduce our guests? Yeah, I love I love this series because I think it, what it does is help us unpack the lived experience of folks who have gone through the Thrivers program. You know, we've collected data throughout um, and are excited to do some post measurement now that the work is over. But there's no substitute for the voices of lived experience. And so I'm so excited to have done a few of those podcasts in support of getting those. We've talked with the folks at NAMI, with um, the folks at the conservatory, and now really excited to be here with the folks from Food to Power to hear about what it looked like and how it felt for them. Mm, so great. Yeah. And Sarah, thanks for bringing that into it. Yeah. There's, there's no uh, substitution for the voice of lived experience and particularly uh, the voice of the nonprofit leaders themselves. And so uh, I'm so glad and so happy to introduce three uh, amazing nonprofit leaders and just delightful souls who are thoughtful, who are kind, and who really care about the work that they're doing and are doing really impactful work as well. So, hey, I want to just welcome everybody. Uh, Patience, it is great to have you here. Uh, let me see if I get your last name right. Patience Kabwasa. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Patience is the executive director of Food to Power. We also have Jesse Bustamante. Did I get that right, Jesse? You sure did. Yes. I love this. Uh, She is the director of communications at Food to Power. And then we also have Slade Custer. Slade, I think I got that one right. Uh, Hard to mess up. (laughs) Hard to mess up. (laughs) We have Slade Custer. He is the director of development at Food to Power as well. Uh, Patience, I want to start with you just to give a little brief intro of yourself. Uh, and then we'll do just brief intros around for everybody. And then uh, I'll hop into that first question that we have for you, patients. Sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, Executive Director of Food to Power, I've been with the organization going on seven years now. Um, also a freelance uh, or founding columnist of Diversity, or mm-hmm. which is now uh, 6035 Media, um, and have really just spent the last uh, probably 15 years of my life and experience um, uh, around uh, food systems work um, in the Pikes Peak region. And so I'm uh, just really excited to to be here and kind of uh, talk a little bit about just um, our experience with not only Thrivers, but just kind of post-2020 um, and mitigating burnout. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Patience, so much. Jesse, how about you? Tell us a little bit about you. 
Sure. Thank you, Tucker. Um, I actually just moved to Colorado Springs in 2018, and I was fortunate enough within a few months to be working in local government at City Hall. I worked directly in support of City Council member Yolanda Avila, who worked oversaw the southeast part of Colorado Springs, which it turns out is an overlap of a lot of the areas that Food to Power focuses its efforts in because it's a majority minority community. There's a lot of intersecting elements there that lead to lower food access. And then over time, I was like, you know, I like working in government and seeing what's going on, but I want to be involved in making a difference. And also, I just love food. It's really important. It connects everyone. <laughs> and so luckily, this was around the time that Food to Power was looking for a director of communications. And thankfully, mm. they were willing to give me a chance. And I started here in June last year. So oh, excited awesome. to be here. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Jesse. I love food too. So I appreciate that we have that in common too. That's great. Food connects everyone. It's really important. Totally. Totally. I love that. Slade, how about you, my friend? Yeah. Um, I'm from Colorado Springs. I've spent my whole life here, done a little bit of traveling, spent summers growing up in Kansas where my whole family's from. But yeah, it's kind of interesting being at the Hillside Hub. You know, there's a hill and I can literally stand on it and then point out my childhood house, where Whoa. my high school is at, everything like that. And so... I guess so the reason why I actually originally got drawn to Food to Power is more so of just the community standpoint of just being able to overhaul the like assets for the community. And I think one of the things I appreciated most was essentially how much Food to Power really centered the community's voices. You know, I used to work at another nonprofit where they made a lot of assumptions on what the community needed. And that didn't really set too right with me. I thought mm. like if we're building stuff out for the community, why don't you engage them? Why don't you center their voice and co-create? And so when I saw a job opening um, in fundraising, which my skill set was in at Food to Power and saw how much they centered the voice of the community, I was just immediately drawn to it. And I'm just so grateful to be at Food to Power because I'm literally having a once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to make a tangible impact and um, kind of leave my mark on the city as seen in like the Hillside Hub, that city's first neighborhood food center we developed. But I guess personally, I don't know, really, really like riding bikes, have a little dog. I love her to death. Um, but yeah, that's about me. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great, Slade. Well, hey, let's hop in. Patience, I want to, um, you know, everybody has shared a little bit about Food to Power. But tell us about your work, Patience, uh, at Food to Power. And what is your work? Like, as Slade mentioned, the Hillside Hub as an example and, and, and food scarcity, things like that. What is your work and really why is it so deeply important in the community of Colorado Springs? Sure, um, so our work is really centered around um, removing barriers to food access and um, working in, in, the, in the vein of improving health equity. Mm -hmm. uh, we, in our city, there are areas of town um, and it's, you know, no coincidence when you look at, you know, the historic um, uh, implications of de facto segregation, uh, redlining, um, mm -hmm. you know, just neglect. It's no mm -hmm. uh, coincidence that those coincidence that those um, neighborhoods that experience uh, different life expectancy differences are primarily BIPOC. Mm -hmm. um, and so our work really centers around how can we um, you know, emergency food assistance is important and there's a lot of heavy lifting done in that area, but really to think about health equity encompasses uh, different pillars, right? It encompasses not just food access, but if you've never, say, for instance, um, seen, you know, 
kohlrabi um, before and you have the opportunity to get that even for free you might skip over it because you really don't know what to do with it right and so how do we build community utilizing food as a vehicle it's it's the great equalizer Uh, and i think um uh, we are able to kind of do that through our education efforts, our access efforts. And uh, since last year um, is our first year urban farming uh, and production. And so really just having a space where all three of those things are happening at the same time is the work um, of Food to Power while building community, um, while you know focusing on uh, the access barriers, whether that be transportation, um, education, income, um, or, you know, even intersectional with housing, right? Because like often folks choose what they eat after they kind of um, meet some of those uh, primary needs and then your health then suffers for that. Mm. So we're really working to, you know, change the food system by making it more equitable for wow. folks to access food um, on a regular basis. Wow, that's so important. That's so important. I appreciate what you're sharing about how to leverage food as that as that great equalizer. And if, if people don't understand what like kohlrabi is, as an example, and maybe, by the way, Jesse, I was thinking maybe that's the logo or the, the mascot. I don't know. We were having a fun joke the other day around like, what's the mascot of Food to Power? We were thinking of funny uh, ideas around different types of vegetables, but I thought it was great. I'm currently still charmed by the rutabaga suggestion, the rutabaga. but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, we so have good. like uh, collard greens are, are, are the forerunner for, yeah. for our uh, logo. Love it. Well, uh, Patience, Food to Power um, has been a part of, um, I, th- I believe, quite a bit of different types of capacity building, quote unquote, types of programs before. And curious as you, I mean, you all are doing a lot of work, right? You just opened up that Hillside Hub, which is um, a, a significant lift. Uh, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of work around uh, health equity and food equity. Um, why was it important for Food to Power and for you and for your team to be a part of this Thriver program? What were the conditions that existed for you that you said, we got to do this, this is important right now, and, and for you to choose to say yes to this? Absolutely. So... Um, one of the things I think that stood out to us about the Thrivers um, program was really just the focus on burnout. Uh, 2020 was was a call for food to power. We, you know, converted. I mean, I think prior to that, we um, predominantly operated as maybe air traffic control, and we kind of navigated different grocery programs in different communities uh, through a network of community partners, volunteers, and systems. We did have, uh, you know, a grocery program that happened two times a week in the Hillside neighborhood, or excuse me, one time a week at um, at the Helen Hunt campus. Um, however, when, when COVID hit, we had to convert our 1,100 square foot office into a food distribution center. Mm. Um, And really in that moment, it was obviously important as a a food systems um, uh, organization to show up and meet the need of the community. But we really got to see, I think, for the first time and a lot of folks, not just us, got to see what it looks like when you go to the grocery store um, and um, there's not there's nothing on the shelf or, uh, you know, the, the produce that you 
are just so accustomed to, to getting or even shelf stable items, you just can't get anymore, um, mm. which literally put a demand um, on us. At that time, we had about eight staff members um, and, you know, we did our best to mitigate um, spreading COVID internally so that we could continue to serve our community in that way. Mm. Um, and so that said, that in and of itself would have been, um, I think, uh, you know, challenging for any organization, but we were also navigating a leadership transition, uh, rebranding of our organization, a construction project, finishing up a capital campaign. So all of those things together really um, affected, you know, I mean, we were we were churning and burning um, and, and we have a dedicated team of like passionate folks who really mm -hmm. care about making more food or making food more equitable in our city. But, um, you know, we also had to mitigate burnout. And I think when this opportunity came along, just kind of after it kind of came along after, you know, a lot of that heavy lifting was done, I think it gave us a chance just to to pause. And, you know, I think in Jesse's instance, being newer to the role, Slade also being a newer development director, really just wanted to offer the opportunity to, to kind of create self-care and, um, frame that right off the bat in the in the start of their uh you know nonprofit career so that you know thinking about you know what it just thinking about what it means to care for yourself in the midst of working through some really stressful and challenging things because th that's not gonna go away you have right. to build out systems in order to be able to mitigate those challenges when they come so i so that's what i appreciated about thrivers really um particularly i think for for my staff to just be able to um have an opportunity that just kind of help them think about their own self-care uh, in the process hmm, hmm. Uh, so appreciate that patience. You know, it's interesting what you said that, you know, COVID uh, as a community based nonprofit put a lot of demand, like all that happened. And we've seen that a lot with smaller community based nonprofits that the demand has definitely gone up, especially those who are involved in human services, food based work, like anything that's especially revolved around humans, um, <laughs> the, the demand has gone up. Um, and uh, and I'm just appreciating what you're sharing around uh, how might we create the conditions for particularly some newer staff, uh, but also like you've, you've had a lot of demand, which means you've been doing a lot of work and you've done a lot of pre-work yet at the same time, like the work's not stopping, but you chose to like create a line in the sand of saying, we need to prioritize self-care. Uh, and so I just wanted to not acknowledge that because that's a, that's a significant psychological lift for an ed to be able to say we have to prioritize this otherwise it doesn't happen right it, as you were saying like things things are just the the stress of the work is not going to go down the right. demand is not going to go down so i'm just i just want to appreciate you putting a line in the sand almost there as an ed thank you i i think it's really important to you know um not everything has to go fast and sometimes that's driven by anxiety and I have really been intentional. I'm, I'm not going to let that get into me um, because if I don't if I don't lead in that, then I think it, it doesn't necessarily translate um, to 
to just the culture of food to power. And and that's one thing that I can say food to power has um, ever since I've been here. I think one of one of our strong points is we we have a culture of care um, mm-hmm. and we really do care about the folks that are working, uh, you know, and as we continue to grow and think about community ownership um, in a way that, you know, centers those voices, but also internally in our organization, keeping that central because people bring their whole lives to work, right? They show up as whole people and we want them to. And so how do we, you know, balance that with getting the work done, but not at the cost of um, the individual doing the work? Yeah, it's very important to us. That's great patience. In what ways from your perspective, and then we'll hop over to Slade and Jesse too with some questions. Um, and really want this to be as honest of a of a of answers as possible. Like this is really meant to be a a, a learning podcast um, around what did we learn. But I'm curious from your perspective, in what ways was this program uh, from your experience uh, different? Good, bad, uh, ugly? You know, uh, what were the pluses? What were the deltas, as we like to say? What were things you would change for next time? Uh, from other capacity building uh, support and programs you've received before. In what ways was this different and um, in the good or the bad or anything in between? Um, you know, I think just being like the the having it on the calendar every every two weeks is really important of just like you're taking this two hours on a Friday um, to kind of be in community with other nonprofits in the Pikes Peak region and really hear their stories around their challenges, what they're experiencing, and just being connected in that way. So it's you don't feel isolated in your experience, I think was really, really helpful to just gather as a collective. I think I think um the value could increase if that were in yeah. person right like i think sure. just being able to connect and and learn folks um sometimes that's hard to do i i know we're like masters of this now because we've <laughs> you know this is our third year uh post 2020 where we've had to be you know a lot on zoom um but i think you know being able to have some kind of connectivity outside of the zoom screen uh might have been um uh, just helpful in, in yeah. building relationships with other organizations. And also I, I would say the same is the challenge is like, you know, sometimes you have to be forced to kind of like have that two hour time mark on your calendar in order to, to uh, be committed to it and discipline yourself in order to take that time. And so I think sometimes it was just like, well, you know, I got this going on or that going on, but I always felt like I'm, I'm really glad that I did show up when, when I did. And I would love to hear from Jesse and Slade what their experience was as well. Um, but always was happy, like after, um, after the meetings to, to really just have that time of connection and really hear, you know, from other nonprofit folks, you know, just what their experiences were what, yeah. and, and how they're also thinking about, you know, mitigating burnout in a different way. Hmm. Thank you, Patience. Well, yeah, to to your point, let's let's hop over to Slade and to Jesse and whoever wants to go first is fine. But as as directors in the organization and just for people's clarity uh, of not to use hierarchy here, but just for people having a sense of. Uh, oh, shoot. Am I? I think I'm. To ask you to describe your experience, what was it like to be part of the community and what was um, most challenging and maybe most engaging? would love to invite your voices in. 
All right, I'll go first. Um, it's kind of interesting. I don't know where all of the potential listeners live at, um, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with Colorado Springs, um, it often gets thrown around that uh, the term like Smallerado Springs, you know, it's like one of the smallest big cities you'll ever be a part of. Once you really start hopping into engaging with the community, once you really start getting out and going to community events and going to different events and engaging with your neighbors and engaging with individuals, especially in this nonprofit and philanthropic sector, you know, you kind of see a lot of those same faces everywhere. And it is hard to be involved in this work without just developing a huge network of people that you can talk to, uh, lean on, go to for support, uh, develop potential mentorship, things like that. And so I think that was like, honestly, one of my favorite parts about being a part of this community, you know, like the first time I hopped in, it's like, oh, look at all these familiar faces. It was hard, honestly, to pay attention to the podcast because I was so, <laughs> sending, sending, so busy sending those direct messages of just like, yeah. oh, my gosh, it's good to see you. How are you? It's been two years, COVID land, haven't seen you in a little bit. But then also the chance just to be able to really develop those relationships with individuals that I had never had exposure to, you know, um, I mean, I'm not going to name drop, but there are three people in particular where we were always showing up to a lot of those same meetings and got to know a lot about the individual factors affecting them going through troubled divorces, going through leadership changes, mm -hmm. things like that. And just being able to have that chance to build those relationships and go beyond that surface level. Hey, how is your weekend? How's the dog? Things like that. And actually being able to dive into just like really meaningful, deep check-ins and build those relationships. And even though it was all a lot of it over zoom, it was even incredible just to be able to be at like a local nonprofit kids on bikes and shopping around and running into someone I'd only seen through the zoom screen. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, Oh my gosh, here you are. It's like, Oh, you're shorter than I expected. <laughs> and so it was, just, yeah, it was just kind of fun to be able to, I think that was like one of the most valuable things for me about just being a part of this community of learning um, together was literally that community side of it was just being able to develop that community, develop new connections, interact with organizations I normally hadn't before, and then also have the opportunity to um, learn from them. Um, I'll save off on the second question, though, for now, and I definitely want to hear what Jesse has to say about being a part of the community of learning. Perfect. I don't even remember what the second question was at this point because I'm so charmed by the answers to the first part. <laughs> um, but no, it totally plus one everything about like the building community aspect of being on um, the workshops routinely. And it's interesting because like a lot of the people that I saw were people I was familiar with from my previous role. So I was getting to know them in a totally different way. Like before I was just like this kind of person in the background in the government meetings with the council member or whatever like maybe we met at some community events but didn't really talk much and then now I was getting to know them in a whole new way hearing like more behind the scenes of like okay so this is what nonprofit leaders deal with all the time this isn't just like a thing that I'm struggling with alone that's so reassuring so it was really fun to like get to know everyone in these new ways and also just like the culture creating this space where it was fine for me to just be like, hey, I'm, you're going to see me turning my camera off periodically because I am so stressed and tired today and just need to put my head down sometimes or like I know we're running through this slide deck right now, but I just can't. So I am not going to right now. And like that was totally a fine thing to say. And like yeah. it got understanding because we've all been there at different points. So really appreciated the community building aspects in the various ways that that played out. I want to I want to dig into the community building piece because you know uh, I'm 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 thinking with the the mind of a critic here, which is 
Yeah, that's nice. That's nice that you build some nice relationships with nice people, right? But I, I think that we don't fully understand what that is. I want to unpack that a little bit more. Like, why was that important? Like, what, what, why was it important for you to connect with other nonprofit leaders? Why was it important to go underneath the surface of what's really going down? And how did that translate into some of the things that we are, you know, some of the more harder metrics that we're held accountable to around our work, whether it is fundraising as an example or the skills that we need or whatever, like what was made possible for you because of, of that? And why was that so important? Yeah, like from one aspect, it's just a security net in some ways, right? Because people are wired to be very network oriented. We weren't really meant to work in isolation. So when you've got that community and that network to like support each other, offer advice, give each other support and things like that, it's just like you can get so much more done. Like there would have been times when I would have just like probably just signed out and gone to sleep for the rest of the afternoon if it weren't for those moments of feeling like energized and rejuvenated and like, I wasn't just some boat drifting off in the sea, that kind mm. of thing. So, um, Slade, do you have more you want to add on that? Yeah, I mean, for example, I'll give two answers. One I already kind of touched on, you know, community. It's great to be able to go places and have recognition with people that you randomly run into. I mentioned that example of running into an individual at a local nonprofit and just being able to have that initial rapport and excitement of seeing them in person. But the second part of my answer, honestly, Jesse kind of hit on as well, was um, the sum of individuals is could be greater than like the individual inputs. You know, one plus one can equal three if you utilize Skillshare, if you utilize and share different things. And that was one where I even remember there was a nonprofit that were there like, hey, we're having a lot of turnover and we're starting to look at like our internal hiring practice and how that goes about. And so just being able to have that chance to talk to that nonprofit about our um, internal hiring practices mm -hmm. and how little turnover that we as an organization have and sharing our job description and sharing our consensus-based voting and all the processes that we use mm -hmm. for our onboarding and our hiring. Um, just even something like that and being able to share resources like Jesse mentioned and just being able to help uplift one another. Um, I'd say that could be another really, really huge part to building community because in my opinion, community should go a lot deeper than just running into each other at like the well or something, a local place. Uh, yeah, a local bar and just being able to say like, oh, hey, it's good to see you once again. How is your weekend? How's your dog? It should if the community is built right, it should be able to enhance trust in between the organizations and open a method of communication, a line of communication where you can share resources, you can lean on one another, like Jesse said, that safety net. Um, so yeah, definitely just want to say that like community, it's not just about being able to recognize people where you go, but it's actually building that network where you can skill share and talk to one another, be vulnerable, help each other through life circumstances that come up, things like that. Does that kind and of- it's really. Sorry, I just wanted to add to that because you remind me of a couple of things I didn't say. It also is just really valuable to have like that potential pool of like mentors and people who are working in the same pace, place that you can reach out to for advice. Like I'll, I will name drop. Lori Jarvis was fantastic on the <laughs> workshops that we were on together. She had amazing advice and I would love to at some point reach out for, to her for coffee. Just be like, how are things going? Here's what's going on in our world. Yeah. Do you have any advice that you can give me? And like those kind of connections are so much faster, more impactful, more specific than like just trying to do research on your own and like trying to see if Mr. Google has the answer or things like that. So <laughs> Mr. Google does his best, but he's not that good. <laughs> 
I love that you brought that up, Jesse, because I saw that relationship develop over the weeks that you were together um, and it looked so impactful. So it was it's great to hear that it felt that way for you. Um, I'd love to ask the two of you, you were both engaged in so much Slate. I think you were in our impact into story energizer. You were in the revenue energizer. You were in the first half of the leadership collaborative. And then Jesse, you were in learning organization, culture, um, yeah, and what else? What am I? I? I think those were the two, right? Learning organization and culture. I also got looped in towards the end of the impact to storytelling energizer, since that's our crossover point in our yes. work. Perfect. Well, I'd love it. So you all have spoken beautifully about the relationships you've nurtured, the social capital that that's built, how that's translating into resource sharing and to mentoring. I'd love to ask about the the skills, if any, that you built in the workshops that you attended and what, if anything, you've literally brought back into your practice, either as a leader, um, you know, at, at more of a meta level or really into the day to day at the tactical space. So I'd love to ask what that's looked like. Um, you know, if I'm going to be completely vulnerable and honest with all of you, um, last year was pretty difficult, even though I've been at food to power a little over three years, I became development director last year and just due to timing of hiring people, onboarding, having to do a lot of fundraising, planning events last year, um, ended up working a lot more hours than I want to, mm -hmm. um, openly say on this podcast. And so taking that into consideration, um, last year was one of my worst years ever for mental health throughout my entire mm -hmm. life. Um, mm -hmm. And in addition to that, there is the challenges that I've had from work last year, which have gotten better this year due to what I'll get to. So don't worry about me on that. End. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it's also interesting too, because something that I personally have always really, really struggled with um, was essentially just like if someone criticizes me or if there's a conflict or anything like that, I'd always kind of like dug myself further into a trench and just overanalyzed mm. it and just kind of gotten into essentially kind of like destructive thought patterns. And I had really struggled to break out of that. And so that was kind of honestly one of the most beneficial things that I seriously give a lot of love and gratitude to this mm -hmm. cohort for was because as much therapy as I was going through um, to try to get better on all of this, literally the peer to peer support groups and mm -hmm. the peer to peer interactions and hearing like the big box breathing Tucker that you always do. Mm -hmm just certain things like that it's really worth mentioning that like a lot of that really really helped me because i think one thing when you look at like nonprofit burnout for example you might just look at the stressors involved with work and how maybe a capacity building um session a capacity building dollars something like that it'll enhance your ability to become more resilient for work but i think mm. it is really really important to mention that work is only part of our lives. And there are factors that influence us outside of work that affect our ability to do our work in a good and healthy manner. And so just being able to talk to, yeah, yeah, literally name dropping Lori again, was talking to Lori <laughs> yeah. a lot, was talking to some other individuals, implementing in these things, you know, being able to just look at Focusing on the positive, one of the things that Lori actually mentioned to me um, with the things she was going through in her personal life was just like, it can be difficult, but as soon as you see yourself starting to have those thoughts, just break out of it. Look at the first thing around you that you're seeing as positive and try to focus on that. I'm lucky to have an incredible dog. And so that's like, I lean on <laughs> Rami a lot. It's one where I get in self-depreciating thoughts on like hikes or on bike rides or just even at home while I'm working, I can just be like, wow, look how soft Rami is. Look at her velvet 
velvet ears. I'm so much love and gratitude for her. Mm. And I think that was one of the biggest things was not only learning from the Thrivers um, leadership group, but also learning from the other nonprofit leaders of just how to really break out of those self-destructive mm -hmm. thoughts to be able to try to get that paradigm shift almost of don't have to dig yourself further in the trenches. You can have the power to break out. Um, mm. it's still ongoing work. It is still yeah. ongoing work. You don't yeah. go from the bottom to the top of the ladder mm. in one jump. It is a series of small steps and I'm still yeah. working at it every day, mm. but literally this year has widely been a lot better because like I said, as much as I'd gone to a lot of therapy to try to get better at that, oddly enough, it was like part of the strivers group that really helped me because when I was being vulnerable and honest with the different individuals in the cohort and telling them what I was struggling with. And then two weeks later, they're checking in with me of like, okay, mm. how's that going? Are you getting any better? It created a little bit of like that safety net that had an element of accountability to it where I didn't want to show up to those meetings and say, Oh, I'm still struggling. I spent the last two days in a really low rut because I didn't have the personal accountability. I didn't have the power to break out of that. I wanted to improve so that I could go back and give good results to all the new friends that I was developing. Uh -huh. um, and so I would say that would be like one of the biggest things that I learned. I mean, there's several different tips that people taught me, but just as it all lumps in together, just being able to get that paradigm shift and break out of those self-destructive thoughts mm -hmm. so that I could be a whole and more productive person in my personal life, which greatly influences my energy and my ability to show up to work as a whole and complete individual. Wow, that is so powerful, Slade. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm hearing in particular that the leadership collaborative and the presencing practices, the breathing, some of the work we did around reframing questions, right? From a deficit-based question or a deficit-based thought to an appreciative thought um, or an appreciative question. And then being in that with your peers really helped um, to shift some things for you. Wow, mm. thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing that experience with us. Mm. Thank Jessica, you for everything. <laughs> absolutely. Jesse, I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, totally. I'm like, wow, how do I follow that up? Um, but it's really interesting because I did um, start these sessions at a time when I was new to like, well, new to the nonprofit world, but also just new to leadership in general in a lot of ways. Because in my previous role, it was a much more low key assistant kind of role. Mm -hmm. And so moving here, I'm like, wow, I'm a director now. People are like actually looking to me for guidance and advice on stuff. So that was a really interesting shift. And I think the Thriver workshops couldn't have happened at a better time in terms of prepping me to do that well. Um, when I first started here, like I was in a space where I was like, cool, I was told to be quiet for so long and now I'm going to be like assertive and say my piece and do my thing. And some of the skills that I took away from the cyber workshop was, were like, actually, it would be good if you like took a step back and let other people talk first and consider why you want to chime in on something. And that's definitely <laughs> still a work in progress. Patients can attest. Um, but like, it's just, it's good to develop that. And because we're in a stage of so much growth and I'm part of that growth, we've got like a lot of cultural considerations that are coming together and melting together. And like the resources that came out of the culture energizer are going to be so useful for bringing all those different perspectives together in a way that feels regenerative, things 
things that we're comfortable with. And then the learning collaborative was also really amazing. Um, we did a training session not too long ago, and I used a lot of the tools from that learning collaborative awesome. to structure it to like leading mm -hmm. in with an appreciative question, giving people exercise times and things like that. And like that was mentioned as like one of the most helpful um, all staff things we've had in a while, like a really good example. And I'm like, yes, my skills are working. The skills <laughs> awesome. I learned are paying off. Nice. So yeah, there's just been like a lot of things mm -hmm. coming together. Oh, and I forgot to mention the impact um, storytelling, which is really funny since that's such a big piece of my work. But like I did um, a mini teach back in leading for some story idea generation and the immediate feedback was like that is so interesting and helpful and can you do a longer version of that because i want to learn more so like it's just it's all coming together it's all paying mm -hmm. off and like so all of those skills in addition to the community building and the various elements so super appreciate much love mm, that's great i love that jesse uh i love how you uh and, and just appreciating you taking things that you learned and applying them very quickly, which is really where learning like really, really happens, right? Um, and, and testing it out and trying and uh, giving it a go. Oh, I have great. a memory like a goldfish. If I don't apply it real fast, I'm gonna <laughs> so lose me too. it. So. Me too. Was I was gonna any... say you seem like a sponge though, Jesse, because every time you'd be like, I'm soaking this all in and we could see you soaking it. And then you come back yeah. the next time and be like, guess what, I just tried this thing. And here's what was great about it. So I, I loved to see you each week, just soaking it in and taking it in and then bringing it back and then coming back with your reflections on it. That was really beautiful to see. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. I'm curious on, uh, you know, uh, to be devil's advocate here again, a little bit here of what what was challenging? What was what were some deltas of sorts and patients? You you offered some of those What were some deltas like if we were to do this, this type of a program, a six month type of program again, uh, what would be some things that you'd like to shift or adjust or change for next time? What, what what's kind of emerging for you around that? I'm only going to chime in right away because only one thing really emerges for me. Um, and that was I signed up for both the Culture Energizer and the Learning Organization Collaborative, which were every other week, but like such that they slotted in together. So it turned into every week. And that might have been a little much in hindsight. Like I really enjoyed what I learned from both of those. It just might have been a little intense to have it as an sure. every week thing. So yeah. that is it for me. So. That's great. Thanks, Jesse. I'm just going to echo Jesse. It was the time. Um, you know, it's so easy to get wrapped up in your day to day, your week to week, and you start planning out your week and you're like, oh, crap, two hours Friday. I need to use that to write a grant or to do donor engagement or whatever. Um, and I think leading up to it, I was always just thinking a consistent thought of just, oh, this is a lot of time. I should be using this time elsewhere. But I think getting out of those two-hour sessions and actually feeling more rejuvenated, um, it was kind of like a two sides of the same coin. One side, you're heading into the meeting thinking it's a lot of time. You need to use the time elsewhere. But then you get out of the meeting and you're like, oh, that was actually really worthwhile. And I feel more engaged and I have more energy to do my work. So 
it's just interesting looking at the different approaches to capacity building, you know, some of them will just throw dollars your way and say, Hey, whatever is mental health, go ahead and use that for mental health. Oh, here's a four month sabbatical program for nonprofit leaders. And then here's like, um, or even your approach of just, here's a lot of engaging webinars and sessions, co-working sessions, essentially to be able to develop skills. And so it's really interesting seeing the different approaches and this was the first approach that I've ever seen to capacity building personally that took this much time. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, learned so much and it helped me personally. So I think the time very much so was worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's yes. A, and I just want to be totally clear, like the time was worth it. And I did really enjoy what I learned. I didn't sure. mean it to sound like that was too much. I hated that I did that because I loved that I did that just yeah. as, as well. There was well, the factor of like, this being every week is kind of intense. Yeah. That was all I meant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what we're exploring, which is, and you know, patience, you kind of hit on this earlier as well, which is how do we draw lines in the sand around our well-being, around our care? And what does it take for us to do that? Um, and, and the time is part of that, right? Like it's, it's kind of like talking about going to the gym. It doesn't really count. It only counts if you actually go to the gym right? Or, or, or eating healthy. It doesn't count to talk about it. It counts if you actually do it and doing takes time. And so, and that's the thing that we're frankly wrestling through ourselves around how, how do we, uh, help nonprofit leaders and support them in the time that it takes to take care of oneself, uh, and, and the language around that. And what does that mean? Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that up because it's a really so interesting that you say that Tucker, cause, um, also I will also name drop, um, I was able to connect, I think, more deeply with with Christy Milligan than mm -hmm. I had before. And, you know, we have uh, some inner like lots of intersections in common. We we both, you know, women um, leading nonprofits um, in direct service. And uh, we had concluded collectively together that our self-care looked like you know being able to be in the mountains um mm -hmm. for a weekend and just like unplug um and you know and maybe we'll be accountability partners um for that in the future um i but that i think that's just it is like being intentional about what your self-care looks like um even if it's not you know in two hour sessions on friday but yeah. really i mean marking that on your calendar i think is important the only other i think delta that i would i think is important to lift up here is um you know there is a specific intersection of being a woman in color of color in leadership mm -hmm. and yeah. i think that there i would love to see there be more focus around or just a person of color in leadership i would love to see there be more focus around what that looks like, particularly in a community like uh, Colorado Springs or the Pikes Peak region, because yeah. there it is a definite experience. And Mina's shaking her head. <laughs> <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, sir. I was just going to say, I mean, I think the ability to have um, one of the things I would like to see um, that you're touching on patients is a larger and more diverse cohort, right? I think many of you spoke throughout the um, podcast today about the benefit you got from others and the more others and the more different types of others, right? The more benefit there's going to be. And um, so I, I love that reflection because I think the more people there are of different experiences um, and certainly races um, and genders, the more that we can learn from and with each other. So I really appreciate that reflection. 
and echo it as well. You know, the bigger the learning community, the more opportunities for learning, really. Right. And like leadership is diverse and looks different. And I think, you know, to break up the homogeny, we have to, we have to model it in, in all of our cohorts. Mm. Love that. Well, uh, hey, I wanted to welcome Mina Liebert. Uh, We didn't introduce her at the beginning, but she was able to hop on. So Mina Liebert, uh, you've been, of course, a part of uh, all these podcasts around Capacity Building 2.0. And uh, you're the Director of Community Impact at the Pikes Peak Community Foundation. have been a partner with us throughout this entire journey uh, for the last six months around this particular program. And so, first of all, Mina, nice to see you. Just wanted to say welcome. Good to have you here. Hi. Good and, to see everyone, even though this is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I want to hop into Mina with you and patience with you as well around this next normal of capacity building, uh, just to get your reflections. And I know Mina, we've we've talked about this a little bit on previous podcasts, but I also noticed that there's always continued learning, and right, and sometimes it's a reflection uh, of doubling down on what we learned before, and sometimes it's like, a, no, I think I, I think I changed my mind a little bit, and I never know, right? We never know what's going on, and so. I wanted to invite us, uh, you know, both you, Mina, as well as you, patients, around what does this next normal of capacity building look like uh, from your perspective? And Mina, we'll start with you. Um, you know, you, this has been a co-funded project of of the Resiliency Through Innovation Initiative. You're managing and working with uh, a, a variety of funders who are a part of this. And for all those who are part of this, of funding this. What would you want to tell them about this work and in terms of what is the next normal around what we need to do when it comes to capacity building in Colorado Springs? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And, you know, when we started this process, we we, you know, as philanthropy, we have the opportunity to, to step into some innovation, to t- maybe do some risk taking if you want to use that kind of terminology and and really think about how we can expand. On, on what we currently do, think about how we can do things differently, do things better. And in this particular opportunity with resiliency through innovation, it was really a way to step back. You know, we, we started this journey in 2020 when we reflected on the fact that there were organizations that were not doing direct service, but still needed support, still needed a way to, to get funding, to be engaged, and so we, we as our funding, you know, kind of cohort community, we really thought about how we could engage different audiences that were, were not only in the direct service space, it was more of where we're stepping in and saying, how can we help you take a step back, be reflective and think about the, the very basic things of what your organization does. Are we still mission aligned? Are we still mission driven? Are we doing the things that we really need in order to, to make sure that our organization is is really truly at the center of, of all of our work and or maybe it's the opposite. It's like that we're the work is is really centered and we're not reaching so far that we are burning the candle at both ends. You know, there's so much need, right? This is why the nonprofit community exists. So when we're really thinking about that, it was kind of the building the relationship piece, starting from there and creating an opportunity to reflect. So that's where it started. And, you know, just listening to the three of um, of the Food to Power team, Slade, Patience, and Jesse, we're in this space of, my goodness, like, I am so grateful that that your team is willing to, to take the time 
because we know, we know you are busy doing the things that help so many people throughout the Pikes Peak region, throughout our very specific communities and spaces. So, so to take that time and to then grow from it, I think that's the other thing that just, it just, I, I'm sure if you guys saw my face, you would see that I have, you know, welling tears in my eyes because the vulnerability and the ability to do this over a virtual platform, truly, is, is usually so difficult, right? And you're creating meaningful connections without necessarily having to be in a room together. And that's really hard. So that's where I believe the Thrive Impact team has, has stepped into a space where they're really, truly wanting to reduce that nonprofit leader burnout. They're doing it through mechanisms that are so engaging and, and take time but the end result becomes something that creates meaningful connection. And our role within the funding space was just to create the access to the opportunity. That's where we stepped in and said, can we try this? Are we willing to, to look at capacity building, which is in a broad term, a broad yeah, definition, as, and, and, and really build something that is reflective of the individuals that are in this learning space. So, so taking this learning space concept into a place of how can we make programming or how can we make funding opportunities um, really based on input of our nonprofit partners? How can we really listen and actively listen so that we can do things that are actually meaningful to those that we are trying to fund. It's really, you know, the job of philanthropy is easy in the sense of we, we give money to our nonprofit partners. But the hard part is, is coming together to say that we all believe in, you know, a certain cause or a certain intention. And so this co-funding opportunity was a risk. And, and there have been hurdles and there have been really positive things and there have been a lot of things that have been challenging. So we're trying to step into a space where we can say, these are the great things that have happened. And so these podcasts are a great output of that. And yeah. it's also then an opportunity to say, this is how we can continue to do this work so that we are listening to our nonprofit partners and stepping into the spaces where they need to be at. If we're, if we're charged with you know, meeting community where they're at, why can we not meet our nonprofit sector and partners where they're mm, at? Come on, come on. I love that, Mina. Thank you so much for that share. And patients, curious your reflections on that, you know, reflections on what Mina shared, but also what would you want a foundation or a donor or a funder who is investing in nonprofits broadly and also who are investing in capacity building? Uh, what would you want to tell them about what the next normal of capacity building needs to look like from your perspective as an ED? Absolutely. So I, Mina, I think laid out so beautifully just kind of the work of nonprofit and some of the relationship between philanthropy and trying to create innovative ways of um, making sure that, you know, we are resilient, right? Because if, if resilience has to be, then rest is absolutely necessary. And I think that what I would also challenge is, you know, operational costs and funds, right? Like giving nonprofits the ability to create these systems within their own organizations and be able to organize and collective work can happen if that, I think, relationship of trust is continued to be built with philanthropy where it's like, we trust you 
to do with this money what your community needs you to do and also to do uh, internally the work that you need to do and be able to um, develop uh, cultures of capacity building that aren't necessarily programs in capacity building, I think could be the next step in, um, in, in really like just changing, just shaking things up. Mm, mm. That's great. Thank you patience for that reflection. Uh, cause I think this is where we need to go, right? This is what is nonprofit leadership for the next normal is, yeah, you've used the word rest a couple of times. I remember patience, you had a quote a little while back at the very beginning, which was, really encouraged to see that this leadership training is focused on rest. It's revolutionary in that some of capacity building is both rest and trust. Uh, and, and particularly, uh, I think about co-creating and Slave, you kind of mentioned this earlier around uh, engaging in the community voices, same idea, like let's co-create and trust the nonprofit leaders with with what it is that they believe. And that's kind of where you were you were going, Mina, as well, was what what is it that they believe that they need? And let's trust them with that, with that in particular. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Well, hey, one final question I just want to do, if we can, just to close this out. Um, to all the nonprofit leaders that are out there that are listening to this podcast, some are in Colorado Springs, some are around the country. Uh, we have a variety of listeners from around. Uh, and so much of this, uh, this conversation has been about uh, taking the time to take care of oneself in many respects and what that does. I'm just curious, what are some practical steps that you all would suggest based upon whether it's what you learned uh, through the Thrivers program, what you learned from other nonprofit leaders, uh, what you've learned about yourself? What are some like what is one practical step that you would want to tell a nonprofit leader to do to be able to carve that time, to be able to put that line in the sand, whatever it is? Uh, would love to do a real quick rapid round with all three of you uh, and uh, or you all four of you sorry and with Mina as well of what would you say is a practical step uh, for nonprofit leaders to take around this I think I mean I, as we were talking about earlier just making that um, commitment to I think your um, your internal culture around um, around just you know what what it looks like to care uh what it looks like to care for the whole person i think is mm. um incredibly important and and really building out systems and cultures that are inclusive of that that's great patience jesse i've how got about you? i've got two extremely practical things that i've been trying to do lately that have been helping out number one is just like literally blocking off time on the calendar no you can't compromise that for something else that's your time do not give that away even if that's like i just need time to have focused work or things like that and then number two if somebody comes to you and is like hey can you do xyz really practicing saying i can't or if i can't feels too uncomfortable and combative let me think on that and get back to you so those are the two things I'm trying to do right now. Love it, Jesse. Thank you. I think my answer would just be to um, like openly communicate, communicate what care is to you. And kind of like Jesse was saying, set up those boundaries, be able to say no. If someone schedules a meeting when you're going to go on a bike ride, for example, just be like, hey, I can't make that. But at the end of the day, it's hard to know other it's hard for other people to know what self-care looks like for you if you don't even communicate that to them in the first place. And I think that directly ties into the culture like Patience was talking about. And if an organization has that culture where everyone feels comfortable communicating and being honest about what their self-care needs are, their ability to say no and not get 
kind of lashed out at for saying no to something um can't communicate to start with so build that culture communicate what your needs are love that thank you so much Slade. that's great mina last thoughts yeah i'm closing it i just i keep reflecting i mean i think food to power is not only a, a truly powerful organization and what they do but the fact that the leadership chooses to really step into what it means to build a strong culture of people and and really be able to integrate what you know the terminology of self-care can be so soft when you're thinking about it from um you know, the funding lens, like, what does that really mean? Mm. And to be able to articulate that and to value that and to continue to tell that message, I think that's going to be really important as you really consider how a traditional funder, how philanthropy um, really can help to invest in that, to keep morale high, to keep, you know, retention of staff. You know how much time it takes to to train a new staff person and and why people leave to begin with. So if we look at it from that perspective and really can can take the lessons that we we've heard from from our food to power team as a great primary example, we can actually show up to to really honor what is important within organizations in order to continue to do great work in the long term. Mm, awesome. Thank you so much, Mina. Thank you, Slade. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Patience. Sarah, thanks for co-hosting with me today. Oh, yeah. uh, what a what a rich uh, conversation. I really appreciate you all bringing your full selves and, and, and some of your vulnerability around what you're learning and growing in and, and some of the deltas and the challenges. And this is perfect. This is exactly the kind of conversation we want to have. So, uh, hey, for all of you who are listening, uh, we'll put links to, to some of these nonprofit leaders' LinkedIn profiles so you can connect with them if you'd like. Uh, if y'all are open to that. Um, and also, uh, if this was valuable to you or supportive for you, uh, we invite you to uh, leave a review uh, and leave a leave some something that helps us to understand a little bit about the impact that this has had for you. So thank you for being a part of Thrivers. Uh, thanks for listening in and we'll see you next week.